Welcome to the Burn Hickory Podcast, where you can listen to our sermons each week. Our mission is to reach everyone around us with the hope of Christ. And our goal is that you'll find a place where you can learn, grow, live, and thrive in a faith family. Now let's get ready to dig into Scripture and see what God has for us today. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Eli. I am the high school pastor here uh, at Burnt Hickory. I'm super excited. Uh, I don't know if it's because I'm preaching or it's because I've had enough caffeine this morning to kill a small horse. Uh, I can't tell uh, quite yet. Sorry, babe. I know she's been on me about the caffeine lately, Uh, but man, I am ecstatic. I am pumped. I am ending the series this week called Little Letters, Big Truths. And so we are, in fact, gonna look at that in the Bible this morning in the book of Titus. So if you have scripture this morning, uh, you will notice that the book of Titus has three chapters, uh, and we're going to literally walk through all three. I could not bring myself not to do all three. I would have loved to just sit in one and break it down thoroughly, but for you to understand the context of what Titus, or what Paul is writing to Titus to tell the people We needed all three chapters. But before we get into our text, I wanted to illustrate for you, because I'm big on illustration. I'm a visual guy. Uh, If I can see it or if I can listen and see it, then I can seep and it can get into me. And so in college, um, I took some communication courses uh, for my major. One of my favorite things to do uh, was sit in a class. In one of these classes, we had an assignment to look at the news outlets and look at anchors and segments that anchors do within a news story because their whole goal in a news story is to tell the people or to give them or to describe to them or to show them what's happening in the ground where they're not at. And so while I don't want to uh, make fun of or make light of natural disasters, some of my favorite times at looking at news outlets is during natural disasters. And so it's a little funny to me, so I apologize if this offends you, but the best thing is when a news anchor is in a hurricane. I don't know why, it's just awesome. Uh, They're normally in their like bright, bright yellow raincoat and somebody has literally drenched them, right? And they want you to know that they are wet. They want you to know that the wind is whipping. They want you to know that whatever is going on around them is absolute pandemonium and chaos. They want you to know that. And they're trying to describe that or give that to you. And they use some of their, uh, how do I say this properly? Um, News, um, I don't even know how to say it, but they maybe overemphasize what's going on in the current situation. So when they're reporting about the hurricane, they're normally not just standing there like this, right? They have this like posture to them where they're leaning a little bit forward. You know, they have this like stance and they're saying it's like, there's 85 mile an hour winds out here and it's whipping and there's pandemonium and chaos. It's jet like forces. And then my favorite thing happens is when like the camera angle like pans out, there's always that one guy in the background that's just like standing there waving, like nothing's happening, right? And it's like, wait a minute, that guy's lying. Like that's not how you should stand right now, right? And the reason that I tell you that is because in the book of Titus, there's absolute chaos going on around them in the church. And there's absolute chaos going on in the island of Crete. And so uh, literally, this whole book in Titus is to give order in the midst of chaos. And I don't know about you, but in your life, like I'm in a season right now where I feel like no matter what I do, 
there's absolute chaos. Doesn't matter how hard or I schedule or matter what I do, it's just chaos. I've been married for five years. I got a newborn and she's about to be one and it's nothing but chaos in her house. Like I feel like my house is wrecked all the time. My life is wrecked all the time. And I'm like, am I even surviving at this point, right? And the book of Titus kind of gives us some orders that we are to put not only in the church, but in our life. And the whole reason that Paul writes to Titus is for this reason. I want you to read with me Titus 1 verse 5. He says this, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, if you don't know or don't understand the context, literally Paul and Titus did an evangelistic tour, as you say, preached the gospel in the island of Crete all throughout and saw people come to know Jesus by the hundreds and the thousands. And then when it came to time, Paul said, by the way, Titus, I'm leaving, bye-bye, but I'm going to leave you, right? And he said, listen, I need you to be the pastor search committee of one to the hundreds of cities and towns on that island. Now, I don't know about you or me, but I'd be like freaking out a little bit. Like there's new believers here on this island. I'm one guy. Like, I don't know what to do here. And I, I'm supposed to put a quote unquote pastor in every town. Like, so I'm supposed to get to know all these people. And then I'm supposed to just kind of handpick. Oh, I think you'd be good. You'd be good. No. Paul writes to Titus and he gives some qualifications. And in order for us in our life, to create some order and some chaos. We need order and leadership. We must put together good leadership. Why do I say that? Titus 1, 6 through 9. Read this with me. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open of being wild and disobedient. Verse 7 through 9 says this. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Oh man, this is so good. He must hold firm to the trustworthy messages as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now I need you to see something. In verse six and in verse seven, he addresses an elder or pastor in two different forms. In verse six, he said an elder must be blameless. And in verse seven, he says an overseer must be blameless. Now the reason that he says that, because in verse six, he is extremely, extremely harsh as to the personal characteristics of what a pastor or elder is supposed to display. He says this, be blameless, faithful to his wife. See, what you don't understand in the context is that it would not be uh, uncommon for a man that has means or of wealth to have two, potentially even three wives in this situation. And he gives 
specific instructions as to the quali personal qualifications before he then addresses the congregational responsibility that the pastor is supposed to have to the congregation. Now, oftentimes, when we come into a building like this, of a church that's happening, that is popping like Burnt Hickory, because we are, and I love this place, everybody looks to, what do the pastors do for the congregation? What Paul is writing to Titus saying, you must look personal before you look congregational. Now, for many of us in here, you're not called to be an elder or a pastor. Like, I understand that. Like, I get that. Maybe you are. Some of you are like heading on, like maybe one of these days, these kids. I love it. But most of us in here, but you are called to lead your family. And many times what happens with us as we look congregationally into our workplace and how we treat people and people judge you based off of how you live publicly. And Paul is writing to Titus saying, no, 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 you need to look at them from a personal aspect. It's almost like this. Instead of going into their workplace to see how they treat their coworkers, why don't you take the time to go into their home to see how their family is and do they love their wife and their kids well? Now that's something for you and for me to take a hold to. I had to do a whole checkup with my wife on like Thursday night and I'm like sitting there and God is all over me and like I'm sweating. You know those times where God is just convicting you and I told myself I'd have this conversation on Monday. Then I told myself, nope, I'll have it on Tuesday. And then I preached Wednesday to middle school and high school. So I came home late and she was already asleep. It was like score. And then Thursday, God's like all over me, right? And I had to look at my wife in the face and say, do I love you and my daughter well enough to be qualified to even have this position to even get to congregationally? And fathers and mothers, can, can I implore you, please just listen for a moment because I, I come from a broken family, a divorced family. And I understand that when <clears throat> either the mother or the father isn't doing their part and loving and having a relationship with Jesus, how easy the family can break away. And it's the importance for you and for me to put order and leadership within your household. And then Paul continues to write like, why is it so important for you and for me from a church and from a personal standpoint to have this leadership? He answers that, to prevent false teachers. Look at verse 10 through 13 with me. For there are many rebellious people, full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcised group. Side note, that literally means like you, they believed you could only have salvation if you were circumcised. Different, different context here. We'll talk about that later. He continues to go on and says this, they must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching these things that they ought not to teach. And for that sake of dishonest gain, one of Crete's own prophets said this, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. Wow, that's some harsh terms, right? He says, this saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in their faith. The whole reason that Paul is writing to Titus and saying there's an order to leadership because it's easy to fall under somebody's leadership that's preaching a false gospel. 
Here's what I want to say to you personally, from your life, from your family. I talk to parents, I talk to kids all the time, and their parents look at me and say, I just don't understand how my kid can believe this. Why? Because you're not teaching them sound biblical doctrine. And the world has been extremely crafty and smart by throwing out a beautiful hook that's got so much bait on it and pulling our kids in, pulling some of our parents in. He's looking at you, he's looking at me as a father and go, listen, there's an order to this. Now, I'm not saying that every single parent here is doing a false and injustice, but it has to beg the question, if your family's in utter chaos, your kids are turning to the left and to the right to find their purpose and fulfillment and passions in other things, we as fathers and wives and daughters have to look and go, Am I leading my family from a biblical standpoint? Am I? It's a call to you and to me to look personally before we even look at anything else. He's saying to him, Titus, make sure that their family's in order before they can even lead a congregation. We give so many pastors the privilege of leading when their home's in disarray. What do you think the congregation then looks like? But we're blessed here to have that. So chapter one, he literally says, in order in your life, in your personal home, there must, there must, there must be some order in leadership. And the reason that we have that is because it's so easy and this world is so good at, at literally looking at you and me and making us buy into false lies that are just not true. And he goes into chapter two, he goes a step even further into this whole order. He says, listen, Titus, I need you to go to city to city. I need you to put a head guy in charge that gives these characteristics personally and congregationally. Then he says, I need you to give order and discipleship. He says this, Titus 2, 1 through 8. This is a lot, but so good. Get your pencils ready, highlighters, whatever you got. You need to write this down. Titus 2, verses 1 through 8. You however, must teach, or that word teach is also to speak. To speak was appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but teach or speak what is good. Then it says, then, you can urge the younger women to love their husbands and their children to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. In the same way, all this is good, write this down, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. What's happening here? Paul is writing to Titus saying, put the leadership, but then teach the older men and the older women the characteristics of who God is to display those in your life so then the older men and the older women can teach the younger men and the younger women. I'm just gonna say it, as a 30-year-old pastor, older men and older women, we're begging you to teach us. We're begging Man, I, I'm the high, I listen, I, I see this all the time. My number one need, 
I'm just gonna be real, is males in the church that love and that are living for Jesus to come teach our younger men how to. I'll never forget sitting in Matt's office during my marriage counseling. And we come to the very end of it. And I was kind of like, oh, that's easy, right? Like, I don't know. I feel like there was more there. I don't know. Um, and he, he asked this question. He goes, do you have any questions? And I'll never forget going, yeah, absolutely. I have no idea how to be a biblical husband or father because I've never had that example in my life. I don't know where to turn. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. And if it wasn't for some of these older, wiser men that have poured biblical, godly truth into my life, I would not be standing here today. Father, are you looking at your kids and saying you need to understand biblical foundational truths for your life and teaching that? The older men and older women to come in week in and week out, do you see your life on mission to disciple the younger generation so that they can live and they can disciple even younger generations? There's an order to this because discipleship always leads to biblical maturity. I think the number one thing that plagues the church and our world today is there's not enough biblical maturity, foundational truth of people knowing the word of God. When you submit yourself under somebody to be discipled, to grow, to learn, to have accountability, you have no choice but to go line by line, verse by verse in scripture and look at it and say, God, what does this mean for me and my life and how I should live? Discipleship always leads to biblical maturity, but we need to remember that biblical maturity takes time and it isn't linear. I'll say it like this. I have, again, I have a, a little toddler. She's about to be one. I love her. I love her, but she doesn't listen. You know what I'm saying? She doesn't. Like, and, and it's not like I'm trying to be like the overbearing dad, right? But like she loves this plant by her door. And like, it's fine if she comes up and looks at it, right? But when she runs up to it, the first thing that she does is try to grab and pull it, you know, with everything. And then once she gets a leaf, she then wants to eat it because we're trying new foods. And so I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And I'm expecting her to obey me, to like, listen. But I have to realize that her maturity isn't there yet. And so often the church and the reason that, I'm just gonna be frank, the reason that non-believers don't walk in here and sit in here is because when they do, believers hold those people that don't know the Lord to the standard of maturity that you might already be at. How can you hold somebody to that standard that doesn't believe the same thing that you do? And in the same way, church, listen, I know 24-year-olds that have more biblical maturity than some 45-year-olds. And that's not a harp on anybody. Don't take that the wrong way. But we have to realize that just because you've taken course 1101, 1102, and 1103 doesn't always lead to biblical maturity. It's only when you submit yourself to the authority and the accountability of discipleship. Because biblical maturity isn't about you, it's about surrendering you. Read with me Titus 2, 11 through 14. And I love this. Again, highlight this, underline this. This is so good for your life. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Everybody. It's appeared, it's offered. It teaches us 
to say no to ungodly worldly passions and, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing, the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up to redeem us of the wickedness and purify for himself the people who are his own to eager to do the good of the Lord. Here's what this says for you and for me about biblical discipleship. When you submit yourself to the authority of teaching from a pastor or from a life group teacher or from a mentor that has a biblical foundation, you are constantly reminded time and time again how good God is and how faithful he is despite how bad we are. And here's the thing, that leads to you surrendering more of yourself because of how good God is. Not more to the world because you can get away with it, but because we have this beautiful gift and redemption of salvation and Jesus and forgiveness. That's what discipleship for us in turn becomes. It's laying more of ourselves down, not building ourselves up. It's standing at the feet of Jesus and going, God, take what Whatever you want. There's a song that's been so evident on my heart, and I'll just be honest, I've been scared to like pray it over my own life because it says, God set me to the fire so then my iniquities or my wrongdoings can come to the surface for you to scrape them off to make me holy and pure because that process right there is hard. It's difficult, and that's exactly what discipleship is. It's God setting us to a flame to purify us, to scrape off ourselves, and to add his character back to our life. It's not about you and me. It's about laying more of ourselves down to the feet of Jesus. So he gives us this order. He says, look, there's gotta be order in leadership. There's gotta be order in discipleship for your life. And the last one, chapter three, there's gotta be order and stewardship. No, I'm not talking about the way you give your money. I'm talking about the way you give your life. Titus 3, verses one and two. And listen, this is the Bible speaking. Not me, not a pastor, not a man. This is the word of God. Let this seep into you. Titus 3, one and two says this. Remind the people to be subjects to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceful and considerate and always gentle towards everybody. Can I make this statement today, church? It doesn't matter if you like the president or not. It doesn't matter if you like a party or not. God's commanded us to be obedient. Now listen, it's a caveat. The Bible's never commanded us to submit to a human authority to the point of sin, because there is a time and there is a place for the people of God to rise up against injustice to speak our voice. But too many of us instead, when it says to slander nobody, you slander everybody that's against your view. And we wonder oftentimes why people don't see us because they, they sorry, they do see us, they don't see God. There's so often times where it's like the love of God on our post, the love of God on our post, slander the government, slander the government. And then you wonder why people don't believe what you believe. Come on, church. There's a 
order to this. And he said, why? Why should we submit ourselves to the government, to these authorities? Because when the right opportunity comes to do every good work coming from God, you take that opportunity for people to see the love and the kindness and the compassion of Jesus Christ. That's it. And that's a hard truth for some of us this morning because we live a disgruntled life because we don't like what's going on. Do you not think God is sovereign over all? Do you not already think he's before us? He knows what tomorrow already holds. And yet he still commands us to submit to the rules and the authorities of this earth. Why? To show them the kindness and the love when the right opportunity presents itself. Remind them to be obedient and kind. And it always follows up with the caveat. Verse three, reminds us of our old condition. Titus 3.3 3 says this, at one time, at one time, you too were foolish. You were disobedient. You deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Why do we need to be reminded of our old condition? Because we, it, when we look back, it builds gratitude. You ever taken a step back in your walk with Jesus and look at where God has brought you from till now? Man, thank the Lord I'm not who I used to be. Thank God that I don't struggle with the things that I used to struggle with because of his goodness and his mercy and our surrendering to him. It builds gratitude, which leads to humility. When we humble ourselves and we look at everybody else and go, man, I used to be where you were at, but I just need you to know Jesus. It humbles ourselves to look at others the way that we used to be. And it also builds our faith. Because when you look back and you see time and time and time and time again where God just showed up when he shouldn't have and say, thanks be to God that he didn't leave me already there, but he saw me through it. And it builds our faith. Remind them of their old condition. But again, then if God reminds us of our old way, he then must remind us of our new condition. Verses four through eight, highlight this, underline this. I, I know this is, I said that a lot, but this is so good. So good, God's mercies. Titus three, four and eight. But when the kindness and the love of God, our savior appears, he saved us, not because of the righteous things that we've done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing, the renewing, and the rebirth by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having hope of eternal life with Jesus. He says this, this is a trustworthy saying, Oh, pay attention to this. And I want you, talking to Titus, to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and they're profitable for everyone. Here's what it's saying in this whole chapter, verse three. The world may not look like you want it to look. It may not act how you want it to act. 
But when we submit ourselves to the gospel truth of who he is and we're renewed by the Holy Spirit of God and the love and the kindness of God seeps through us, the rest of the world will look and go, there's a different way. Paul is writing to Titus going in a place on this island where there's always evildoers. There's lazy gluttons. We still have a God that is good enough to save everybody. That nobody is far away enough to where God cannot reach them. And here's what he's saying for you and for me and for all of us this morning, that we are God's A plan in becoming and making disciples of all nations. He's looking at you and he's looking at me. He's saying to the believers in Crete on this island, listen, if you don't put your life in order, if you do not surrender to leadership, to discipleship, and the way you're to live your life, then nobody on this island will even see me. There's an order as to how we're supposed to live our life. For you and for me this morning, I think you fit into one of these three categories. Wherever you may, some of you may not have a church home. Some of you may be floating church to church to church. And can I beg you to find a church that stands and preaches the word of God and then to plug yourself into that church to be discipled, to grow and to know the Bible so that it seeps so far inside of you that you live your life for Christ. Because that is what's profitable to this world. Maybe some of you are a part of this place. Maybe some of you come to the 11 o'clock or the 9.30 or even the 8.15 this morning. It was early. Maybe some of you come and you sit in here and you listen to this good word of God and you critique the preaching of that morning and then walk out of here and do nothing with it. Can I ask you this morning to submit yourself to a life group here? We have these beautiful groups where they meet every single Sunday and they open the word of God and they look at a passage and saying, what is God saying and what does that apply to my life? That's how you grow closer with Jesus. When you're across a table from somebody or a chair and you're looking them at the face and going, man, I'm just struggling right now and I just need you, older man, older woman, to pour into me. I need you to tell me in this situation, what would God do? What has he done? Maybe this morning, you've never, ever, ever surrendered in obedience to true discipleship of opening scripture, of letting it seep inside of you. And maybe this morning you need to get involved. Maybe this morning that you need to check out a life group. Check them all out. One of them, I've, I talk to people all the time. They're like, yeah, I checked out a life group this morning. That class just wasn't for me. Okay, great. We've got about a billion others. What about those? Right? So maybe this morning, God's looking at you, looking at your family, and going, in the midst of chaos, I'm trying to give you order and peace. If you just fall under these three categories. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you. And in three chapters, you can just speak your goodness over to us. And God, this morning, for the family, it's in shambles and chaos. God, I pray that you give them the peace 
in order that they need God to live a life worthy of your calling, Jesus. God, at all times, uh, we don't become a people that neglect the personal for the congregational. God, that we look internally within our own home and in our own life and go, God, where is it, Jesus, that you're asking me to lay my life down and my family? Where is it, God, that you're asking me to get with my kids, open up the word of God and let me tell you about what Jesus has done for you and for me and for the family to get serious about living for you, Jesus. God, what our world could look like if just the families in this room took a hold of, God, we exist for you. God, will you let that be the burning passion of our hearts and in our lives, Jesus, this morning? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you so freely gave your salvation and your love, even though we don't deserve it. God, you still died for us. God, we love you. The only reason that we meet is for you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Were you inspired? Maybe you've got questions. Do you wanna know more about Jesus? Then we'd love to hear from and connect with you so take the next step with us by visiting burnthickory.com slash next. Again, thanks for listening. And hey, stay tuned by subscribing and stay up to date by downloading the Burnt Hickory app.